But if you have the dream and the passion to share music with someone or be creative in any capacity, if you have that passion and that drive and that determination, then follow your dreams. Because at the end of the day, what do we have? This is our life right now. Our life isn't tomorrow, our life isn't yesterday. It's right now is our life. And if we're not pursuing and doing the things that make us happy, then what's the point? Hey, this is Jason Tonioli. I'm a piano player that grew up believing it wasn't possible to earn a living and support a family with music. I've proven that idea was wrong and have met hundreds of other people who have found success with their music. This podcast features stories of musicians who have found their own personal version of success and fulfillment in both music and life. This podcast is meant to inspire musicians and help them believe in their abilities and motivate them to share their talents with others. This is the Successful Musicians Podcast. Hey guys, it's Jason Tonioli here with the Successful Musician Podcast, and my special guest today is a pianist, Steve Rivera. He is a multi-talented composer that's worked with a lot of interesting people over his career. He's a piano consultant as well, but he does music for his career. He touches kind of multiple pieces of it, and he's got a really interesting story from growing up too. So Steve, why don't you just take us away and give us your background? Jason, it's great to be here on your podcast. Welcome, everyone, your regular listeners and maybe some new listeners that are listening in. Jason's doing a fantastic job of bringing some of the successful musicians that are making a living doing music. So thank you, Jason. Thanks. So basically, I grew up around the piano. My dad plays. He's more of a blues player. And they tried to make me take lessons when I was like seven or eight. But growing up in Southern California... I wanted to surf and skateboard, go snowboarding. I didn't have time for piano lessons. Sounds like many of us. I was the same way. I hated practicing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's practicing is absolutely necessary if you want to advance. I think for me, it was I hated practicing stuff that I was told I had to practice. If it was my own thing and what I wanted to do, it was a whole different story. And actually, that's what got me into really playing a lot. Now I'm going to date myself. There's a radio station out here called K-Rock, and they started playing like Tears for Fears, Duran Duran, Depeche Mode, all these heavy synth bands. And so I would listen, and I started just playing by ear and picking it up and being able to play these songs that are on the radio. Then I thought, you know, I can actually do this. And I had started going to church at that time, and they wanted me to start playing with the band, with the worship band and everything. So I did that. So I learned how to read chord charts and play by ear. So after high school, I thought, oh, I'll I'll go to college and major in composing and conducting, which is exactly what I did. Very cool. Was there a specific moment in time when you decided, oh, my gosh, I need to do music as a career or that it like hit you the aha moment? (laughs) Aha. Aha. That's a great question, because my musical journey has been very interesting. Like I said, I started going to college and majored in composing and conducting. Mm -hmm. And then after three years of college, I had the opportunity because I started watching professional ice hockey. Okay. And for any of your listeners that were watching hockey back then, my first actual hockey game was going to a Los Angeles Kings game and Hartford Whalers. So that tells you how long ago it was. And I thought, oh my gosh, I want to play hockey. Since I've always been pretty athletic, I started playing hockey, 
And they announced that they were building the pond in Anaheim for the Anaheim Ducks. And I thought, I want to work for a professional hockey team. And I ended up becoming really good friends with the head equipment manager of the LA Kings. And a position opened up as an assistant equipment manager. So I quit piano, I quit school and started working for the Kings. So you didn't even finish your degree. Didn't uh, even finish my degree. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Worked for the Kings during the mid nineties when like Wayne Gretzky was there, Marty McSorley, Yari Curry, all of these legends of hockey. Very cool. Yeah. So I did that for about almost six years and then left the hockey team and started playing piano again and played at Nordstrom's. So how long did you do the Nordstrom's gig? Then was that like a daily thing? Was it every couple, you know, the weekends? Well, that's an interesting story too, is I was one of the younger pianists at Nordstrom's because most of the pianists that played there were older and retired and maybe did like one or two shifts a week at one store. So I went in and I did two shifts at a store and then I thought I want to do this full time. So I started reaching out to other stores and then I started playing at like four or five different stores every week. Hmm. So it became a full-time job. And that's when I did my first initial album that I self-produced and actually played on the Muzak system throughout all the Nordstrom's in the country. Hmm. Very cool. Interesting. And I'm sure when you were playing every day in a Nordstrom, you're probably just changing things up and you probably get tired of playing the same songs or getting the same requests. But that's probably where you got really good at the piano then, right? I have never, ever heard somebody say, hey, can you play that one song? I don't know what it's called or who wrote it, but it kind of goes dun, 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 dun. Do you know it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was the most requested song. (laughs) So I carry this through to today, realizing, like you said, is it hard to play that many hours and like being able to change it up and playing different songs is something that I carry through even to this day when I play is realizing how fortunate I am that I can play music. Mm -hmm. and that there might be somebody listening to me and hearing my music that has never heard me before, and they deserve to hear the same music that somebody else who has heard me play before, which keeps me conscientiously saying, I want to play with as much energy or passion as I possibly can. Got it. Very cool. So you did the Nordstrom's thing, and then fast forward, I mean, what's happened in between? What are you working on now? Okay, well, let's see. I'll fast forward as quickly as possible. After Nordstrom's decided that they didn't want to have pianists in their stores anymore. So they got rid of all their pianos and all their pianists. And my older brother, before he passed away, had a very successful telecommunications and networking company. So I went and did IT for like 12 years. Hmm. And anyways, did that. My brother unfortunately passed away. And so I decided I wanted to do music again and just went on Craigslist and answered a couple ads for keyboard players for a band. And so I started playing keyboards. One of the first bands I played in was like this lollipop rock and roll kind of band. And we gigged out and that lived its life. Then of all things, I had somebody ask me if I wanted to play in their gothic metal band. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Playing a heavy synth. (laughs) And what's that band? I think it was like Ever Essence or something. Anyways, it was this metal gothic dark band and I've come out in a cloak. And then somebody else asked me to come and play at their restaurant. Okay. Totally different transition. 
So I started playing at the restaurant where I still play at today for about 11 years now. And after about two years of playing at the restaurant and starting to get back heavily into playing and practicing at home and relearning everything, I decided I want to do another album. So that is when I had became friends with Will Ackerman, who ran and founded Wyndham Hill Records. Mm-hmm. And we produced my album, my first album, Dividing the Darkness there. So. Got it. That's awesome. You've got a little girl that's, I know the your pride and joy. And when we first met, that's what I remember is you talked about her. That was, she was your everything for sure. Uh, I'm curious, as you've written music, so you've done two albums now, the original songs. Where do you find inspiration and ideas? Where do you feel like you get the best ideas and inspiration for your music? That's a great question. I have my older daughter, too, who's fantastic. She's with an airline in corporate doing training and what's called initial hires and Mm -hmm. current. So she's living her corporate life now. So I'm super proud of her. And then my little girl, who's going to be 11, is she'll sit at the piano with a score of Phantom And she had to write a letter to Santa Claus because she wanted to be able to keep her elves on the shelf. (laughs) You have your little girl, so you know. So she sits at the piano doing the phantom score, teaching them the lead line, the vocal line. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she's amazing. So where I find my inspiration, I've been all over the place musically. And now with like Dividing the Darkness and Beyond Measures in Time, what I almost always say during interviews is ask me how would I self-describe my music? Where do I find my inspiration? Since I'm classically trained with my albums, though, I try to conscientiously have a restrained simplicity while still making it emotionally moving. (laughs) And this leads into where I find my inspiration. If my life is chaotic and stressful, then a lot of the music that I'm going to put out there is dissonant chords and just off tempo something that's not syncopated right because it's chaotic and it's not predictable when i'm in a better place in my life and i'm just being in the moment and being in the now Mm -hmm. i find that that's simplistic does that make sense well it makes a lot of sense i think of the emotional state you're in really dictates a lot of how your music comes out so that makes total sense and that inspiration Depends on if I'm working on a particular project. For example, when I did Beyond Measures in Time, if this whole idea was going to be like ology, the study of, which is why on the album cover, it's like a piano taken apart with mannequin hands, has a watch on one hand, and then you see an hourglass. So it gives this distinction. And a lot of that is based on trying to put together things that normally wouldn't work. <laughs> but making them work, you know, and deconstructing it and coming to the music in this, not philosophical, but like I said, like a study of like, why am I doing this music? Where is it coming from? How can I put it together? Contrast that with a musical that I mentioned I'm briefly before we started. I'm writing a full production musical and I'm writing the book and the lyrics and the music. And so coming into those, I'm writing it for a particular purpose. It starts at point A, and by the end of the song, it has to be at point B. Got it. Very cool. I'm curious. So so you lasted longer in the College of Music program than I did. (laughs) I was also a dropout, but I think I lasted three days, and I I switched over to the business and marketing world. But if you had advice for, let's say you've got your daughter or somebody that is young and trying to decide, 
man, I think I may want to do music as a career, but uh, I know all too often, well-meaning people tell people not to go into the music as a career or just the music industry because, oh, it's going to be hard. And I think they're trying to protect them. But I'm just curious what your advice would be for somebody that's kind of on that fence and kind of in that moldable phase of life. What would you tell them to learn or do if you could go back and give that advice, even to yourself, I guess? Well, no, that's a fantastic question. Without making it too long, I had to experience that with my older daughter, Rachel, who was going to college and majoring in the nursing program and wanted to become nurse practitioner. Okay. And then her mom had passed away, my ex-wife, and then my daughter decided she wanted to travel the world and leave college. And I told her, you know, you follow your dream. You do what you want to do because life is now. Life is now. We want to obviously be prepared for the future and do things that are going to secure our future for us. But at the end of the day, all we have is now. And if you have the dream and the passion to share music with someone or be creative in any capacity, whether you're an artist and you paint or you sculpt or you do woodwork, music, whatever capacity, if you have that passion and that drive and that determination, then follow your dreams. Because at the end of the day, what do we have? Honestly, at the end of the day, if we're not doing the things that we love, this is our life right now. Our life isn't tomorrow. Our life isn't yesterday. It's right now is our life. And if we're not pursuing and doing the things that make us happy, then what's the point? You're going to live with a lot of regrets. And I think far too many people do that and get stuck in their job. And then it's a long 30 or 40 years of a career. And then you wonder what just happened, right? And you have children too. You've realized the time goes by so quickly. I was just barely at the hospital holding them <laughs> when they were babe born. Yep. You know? And now I'm buying them a car and their driver's license. You know, they're getting their driver's license and then they're going off to college. I just sat through my son's graduation and just sat there <laughs> thinking, what in the world just happened? I was in the same building, same place. Whoa, <laughs> this was crazy. Yeah. yeah. And life can be very fragile. And how many times have you heard people say, they go into their career, and then 30 years later, they're looking back going, well, I didn't get to go on the vacation. I haven't traveled the world like I've wanted to. I haven't gone and seen the pyramids of, you know, in Giza. I haven't gone here. I haven't done this. And all of a sudden, their life was so consumed with stuff that maybe doesn't matter. And I think that was one, as I look back on our very first interaction when we met each other, is you were like, hey, whatever my daughter needs, I mean, that's my priority. And I, I really respected you for that, that you drop whatever you were doing and build around that. Because I think you've got an older daughter now, you realize it's like, wow, this is going to be done before I know it. I tell my older daughter that all the time. I said, Rachel, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't realize how valuable spending time with those that I love and how quickly that time can just go away. Right. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. So anybody who's doing music or wants to do music or wants to go in that avenue, no matter what career path you choose, it's a challenge. Whether you want to be a doctor, an attorney, if you want to work as a CEO of a company, if you want to start your own company, all of that takes determination and time. It's really funny because it's usually people who haven't succeeded that are going to tell you, oh, don't even try it. It's not worth your time. You need to go down over here and get a job that's sustainable, that's going to give you a future in a 401k. And look at people's 401k right now. Oh, we don't even want to talk about that. So it's a no fault of their own. 
And so then they have to look back in the 30 years that they've lived, has it been fulfilling? So anybody who's looking to do music or art or creativity as a career, it is a challenging industry to navigate, but it is well worth it and you can absolutely succeed. And the thing that I would say has been the key to my success is having sincerity and being genuine at the same time, realizing that I have a talent and creativity that is shareable and that people enjoy. Yeah. Outside of your family, I guess, when we just talk about the music side, what part of your music journey that you've been on do you feel like has been the most fulfilling and, and why do you feel like that? I'll give you one example. When I was recording my first album, Dividing the Darkness, we're at the studio with Will and Tom Eaton, who is a fantastic engineer. We had other musicians come in. So that first album has cello and violin and percussions and some vocals and a few other instruments. And I have these Grammy-winning, award-winning artists coming in and saying, okay, Steve, what do you want to do here? How do you want me to approach the music? And what direction do you want to go? So I basically, from humility, right, here I am working with these kind of talented professionals. So telling them, you know, what I really would like is for you to play exactly what you feel. Whatever's feeling in here, whatever you're feeling inside, let that come out. For example, the cellist, Eugene Friesen, phenomenal. He was, would play in the songs, and after he played, he would literally would sit there for about 20 seconds in dead silence, contemplating what was just pulled from him. And the fact that my music was written in such a way that it gave him that wherewithal to just ponder what he just did. That was exciting for me. I think Eugene has won like four Grammys himself. And for him to just sit back and just be in awe of Mm. what was just taken from him, what he just contributed and poured out of himself from my musical structure. I mean, that was like, wow, that is so cool. The other musicians that we had wanted to keep on playing, wanted to add more stuff to more songs. He was super excited about the project. And my producer, Will Ackerman, had to be like, no, 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 no. We're just (laughs) going to use this here and here. And so to see that enthusiasm, to see the enthusiasm, I mean, so quickly gone from that first album, from Dividing the Darkness, so quickly gone, I had written. And Will himself was so moved by it that he asked me permission, Will Ackerman asking me. Can I put some guitar on there? Because <laughs> he was so moved from it. And having somebody like that so moved by your music, I mean, it makes you want to cry, literally. Oh, that's awesome. So I've taken up a lot of your time, but if people are going to want to definitely go listen to your music. When we were together, we both played some songs for each other and we'll share some of that. And it was, in, it was awesome. But to go check out and find more of your music, where do they go? If they want to go to my website, which is www steveriveramusic.com www.steveriveramusic.com they can find all the links to all my music and everything on there very cool and then that's one thing thank you for bringing that up jason how awesome of michelle to open up her home to have that many pianists come in and that's where I met you. Yep. And open up her home for what, 25 different piano artists? To come hang out. And we had a great, an amazing piano to play on, but just you get to meet good people. I think what's been really interesting for me is, is throughout my career, I've worked in a lot of music 
and met tons of music people as well, but the musicians in general are just such kind and helpful people. I love that part of this industry for sure. The more you get to know people and who they really are, you see the true colors come out and they're pretty awesome colors. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, because they're exposing their vulnerability to you. They're sharing yep. everything within themselves. Yep. I mean, you were there that night as we were all sitting around the piano and I took a turn playing a couple of my songs that were brand new and just open it up to feedback. And I mean, you want to like totally be exposed, feel like it's like, here it is and give me feedback. And I think what I learned from that night with you is the more you can be willing to take input and advice, the more you're going to be able to grow. So if you want to get better, be willing to not only get advice from others, but self-critique, but don't be ashamed of who you are and what your music sounds like either. Don't try to be somebody else, be you. And I think that will always serve you well, whether it's in the music or whatever career somebody does decide to take. I think that don't be afraid to ask for help because people do want to help and see you succeed. You're absolutely right. And I would say that if you have confidence combined with humility, confidence with who you are and what you can do and what you can create and the excitement and enthusiasm for that, but with humility. Yep. That's some great advice. Well, Steve, with that, go check out Steve's music at steververamusic.com. You're probably going to plan on blocking out a good hour of your time because you're going (laughs) to probably want to keep listening to the CD or the album. It's really well done. So go check that out. And Steve, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. We'll have to get together and chat some more another time. Thanks so much. I look forward to it. I look forward to it, Jason. Thank you very much. Hey, it's Jason here, and I hope you've gotten a lot of value out of this episode. Be sure to check out our show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you'd like to support our podcast, there's a few things that you can do to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, it will help ensure that you don't miss a future episode. Second, if you'll share it with your friends on social media or send it via email or message, it helps us spread the word as well. And third, if you'll leave an honest review, it really helps with the algorithms so that other people can find our podcast. Finding success and fulfillment in the music industry is possible. And I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.